God is good. God is good. I'd be happy if... I'd be happy if... If I were to ask you the question today, do you want to be happy? How many of you would like to, would like to say, I want to be happy? Some of you are sourpuss. I don't care. Oh, whatever. I want to be happy. Most of us would answer, yes, of course I'd like to be happy. Happiness is guaranteed in our Constitution, right? Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, at least the pursuit of happiness. We all at least have a pursuit of happiness, which all of us are engaged in. All of us want to be happy. But if I asked you this morning, what brings you happiness? What brings you, or what makes you happy? We'd probably get a lot of different answers about what makes us happy. I'd be happy if we could just pay off the mortgage. I'd be happy if I could just buy that new sports car, that 4x4 pickup, or the newest Harley Davidson. Or if we could get that boat or motorhome or buy that lake cabin, I'd be really happy. I'd be happy if I could just get married. Here we go. Or if I could just finish school or get out of the house and be on my own. I'd be happy if my kids would just get out of diapers and out of preschool and into kindergarten. I'd be happy if my kids would just finish school or if my kids would just move out and get their own place. The most significant evidence that disproves the theory of evolution of the species is that humans are the only species that allow their grown offspring to move back home. Just wanted to say that. I'd be happy if I could start my own business or start my internet company. I'd be happy if I could just move to a different house, get a different job. I could retire, move to Florida or Arizona if I could just win the lottery. I'd be happy. I'd be happy if. Each of us has an idea of what will make us happy. And everyone who has a product or service to sell will try to convince us that they have what will fill that emptiness and bring true happiness. Now, when I speak of happiness today, I'm speaking of more than just a surface, temporary, emotional high based on happenstance or circumstances. We will be speaking about a deeper, longer, lasting, abiding joy, a a blessedness, a true prosperity. As with many things in our lives, we sometimes have a distorted view Our perspective can be contrary to reality. Sometimes we need a reality check or a truth check. You want to be happy. I want to be happy. We all want to be happy. How? Today we're going to look at a passage in the Old Testament to gain insights onto how. How? Today, happy if. I'd like you to turn with me to the book of Psalms, the first chapter Psalm 1, it's page 431 in the the Bible in the rack in front of you, or it'll be also on the projection. Psalm 1 says, Blessed, or happy, is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, or stand in the way of the sinners, or sit in the seat of the mockers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in its season and whose leaf does not wither. 
Whatever he does, he prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Happy. One of, the, one of the purposes of Psalm 1 is to emphasize certain fundamental truths important in approaching life in general. It's practical and it's God's truth. This passage begins with where happiness or blessedness is not found. Okay, It's important to know where it's not found. Let's start with happy if not. Happy if not. Blessed is an exclamation in Hebrew which means basically, oh, how, how very happy is the man, generic sense, or how very happy is the person that follows this. The writer begins with three negatives. He tells us where happiness is not found. He gives us a sequence of allegiances and alliances. Allegiances and alliances. He uses three words. Three words, walk, stand, and sit. Sounds simple, right? Walk, stand, and sit. These three words describe a progression of following the wrong path. Not to blessedness or happiness, but to curses and unhappiness. Now it starts, the first of this progression is letter A, is acceptance. Acceptance. Accept the thinking. Accept the thinking. He says, do not walk in the lifestyle and the counsel according to the thinking or the plan or the principles or the value system of the wicked, or those that are opposed to God. Do not live a lifestyle based on the thinking of those opposed to God. How do we think? What influences our thoughts? How we think governs how we act and what we do. All of our actions originate from thoughts, except speech. Sometimes we speak before we think, but that's a whole other story. How much is your thinking influenced by the things around you? How much is your thinking influenced? What comes to your mind when I say, 15 minutes can save you $500? Geico, okay, I don't mean to advertise Geico. Just do it. You're in good hands. Okay, Allstate. We we can go through all of those. You see a, a slogan, you hear the words, you hear the tune, whatever, and you think about something. Advertising affects our thinking. Ladies, if you consume this drink, you will have the face, figure, swimming pool, house, and the men in this commercial. Right? Men, drink this beer and you'll be a winner. All mankind will live in harmony and love and affection forever in some bar on Barstow Avenue. (laughs) That's the picture. The ads convince you that if you take this vacation in Aruba... You will look like the man and the woman in the picture. You'll have happy kids laying on the beach, running in the surf. You'll be lean, tan, and beautiful. As as I know, my body does change when I'm on vacation, but it has yet to get any thinner. (laughs) Use this toothpaste. Eat this food. Wear this perfume. The ads don't show the deceived people who base their relationship on fresh breath, clean shaves, beautiful hair, and slender shapes. Now they're in divorce courts because he wakes up mornings with dog breath and doesn't shave. And she lost her shape after the fourth child. Never before in all of 
history have we been bombarded with so many messages, all image, all illusion, and none true, but it affects our thinking. That's just one area, advertising. Thinking affects behavior. Thinking affects lifestyle. Thinking profoundly affects our lives. How we think. Do you want to be happy? Do not walk in the thinking of the wicked. The second step in this progression is accommodation. Accommodation. To become like. Become like. It says, happy is the man who does not stand in the way of sinners. Counsel has to do with thinking. Stand has to do with action. Has to do with a path or a pathway of behavior. It's about doing. Developing a lifestyle of sinners. Now, now we all sin. We're sinners. We've done wrong things. But the reference to sinners here is those who live in obvious, open rebellion against God. Sin is a lifestyle. Sin is a, as a habit. Those who practice sin religiously, we intentionally make a habit of it. Accommodation is to become like, making intentionally making a habit of it. Imitators. Jesus said to us, to his followers and to us, you are the light of the world, and John contrasted light and darkness. Light has no relationship with darkness. Light and darkness cannot coexist. Light dispels darkness. Somebody said to me the other day, talking about this, said, when have you last seen darkness come into a light room and get rid of light? No, it doesn't happen. Light gets rid of darkness. And we are called to be the light in a dark world. We're not called to compromise or accommodate or, or let our light grow dim or become more like darkness, losing our distinctiveness or the fact that we are different. If we carry wrong thinking into action, our light will slowly grow dim. Accommodation, compromise, become like the wicked. Pretty soon one can now tell the difference between us and the world. So much alike, almost dark. You know, it's a, it's a gradual process. I used to think that as you get older, you're just going to automatically get more righteous. Is that true? It, it, it doesn't come with just aging or getting older. It's a gradual, our spiritual life is a journey. The question to ask is, how close am I to God? Or more importantly, which way am I moving closer to God or further away from God? It's a lifetime journey. It's a lifetime journey. Am I growing brighter or dimmer? Everything around us will try to make our light grow dimmer. Degeneration is a fact. Which way are we moving? Do we want happiness? Don't allow yourself to be squeezed into the mold. Accommodation. Romans 12, 1 to 2, in the message, says it this way. And I, I think I put this up. Yeah. Um, in a new way. He says, so here's what I want you to do. God helping you take your everyday ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. 
readily recognize that he want, what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you and develops well-formed maturity in you. From the message. So we have acceptance, we have accommodation, and then letter C is assimilation. Assimilation means to become one of. Become one of. Happy is the man who does not sit in the seat of mockers. There's thinking, there's acting, and becoming. Sit describes becoming an actual part, an active participant, belonging. Mockers are those who completely reject God and God's word for their own wisdom, their own value system, their own worldview, their own lifestyle. And it's centered on human beings. It's called humanism. Humanism. These three phrases show three degrees of departure from God toward the world. Acceptance, accepting its thinking, accommodation, becoming like, and assimilation, becoming one of them. Our fundamental choices and allegiances are made and carried through this very progression. As said, a person can be happy from a negative perspective by avoiding this progression. Thinking, lifestyle, and belonging. Now, just a couple of cautions. Doesn't mean we isolate ourselves from people who don't know Jesus or, or need Jesus. We're commanded to love people and engage in relationship with them. This is also not an excuse for pride or self-righteousness. I don't associate with those people. No, no. We are to connect with people who don't know Jesus. Jesus did. Other caution, our, our right standing before God is not based on what we don't do or do, but on what Jesus has done. So happy if we don't. How about happy if we do? Verse, verse 2 sets it up. It has the conjunction, but. Goes through the first part and says, but. Here's the contrast. Happy if. Verse 2 said, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Law of the Lord. What does the psalmist mean by the law of the Lord? How can we find delight in law? <laughs> People say, oh, I, I, I don't like, like that. How can we find joy in that? Well, can laws bring happiness? Judy and I have a friend who traveled overseas quite a bit, and one, he, took a, he took a trip to Chile, South, South America. And we came back, we were asking him questions, and one of the questions I asked, so what was it like driving in Chile? I said, do they follow traffic laws? What do they have? He said, well, pretty much, except that lane markers are more suggestions than mandatory. I said, really? I said, how did that work? He's not very well. My brother, who was a missionary in Taiwan for 20 years, said the same thing. Some countries just ignore lane markers, traffic signals, or suggestions to be ignored, and pedestrians take their life in their hands just across the street. Okay? Fortunately, in the USA, by and large, people obey traffic laws. Lane markers on freeways, stoplights, stop signs, roundabout yield signs. By the way, anybody else have trouble making it around those roundabouts? You go, you, no, no, okay, yeah, okay. You, you don't know who's first. If you're supposed, I don't know. They, whoever invented that, I know it's supposed to make traffic flow smoothly, but it confuses me. So, 
I haven't gotten an accident one yet. So, well, without laws and compliance, it's everything's chaos. It, there has to be order through laws. Laws are good, and they make for an orderly and safe, prosperous society. Lawlessness creates civil strife, civil war, economic chaos, and poverty. And we've seen a ton of that in the last few years. Well, God gave us laws too. The best known are, of course, the Ten Commandments, God's top ten. The first four govern how we relate to God. How do we relate to God? The last six govern how we relate to other people. Guidelines given to humans to help us bring order, safety, and justice, and happiness. But the law of the Lord, when he talks about the law of the Lord, it includes far more than just rules and regulations. At the time of this writing of the book of Psalm, it included the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, which is Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Now, those five books of the Bible, it was amazing. They gave us the history of mankind, the origins of the universe, God's interaction with his creation, this God who constantly pursues relationship with people. It's amazing what he does. The history of sin, how that came in, God's provision for sin, forgiveness. There's the covenant of God, how God made a covenant agreement relationship with Abraham, which passed on to all generations, and it goes all the way to us through Jesus. Long, long story. The character of God, which is shown in the Ten Commandments, it gives us right and wrong, morality, and relational guidelines of all types. The written word of God, the written word of God, and I hope that you have a written word of God. If you don't have one, take the one in the pew in front of you. Take it home. It's yours. The Bible. It includes a lot more than that, though. 2 Timothy 3.15. This was written after all, this, all the Old Testament was written. It says, All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. All scripture, Old Testament and New Testament. And the word God breathed is a very interesting term. It means it was spirated. It was breathed by God. This is God's word. God's word. This isn't my word. It isn't the Wesleyan church word. It isn't the Christian word. It's, it's, the, it's God's word that he gave us. The law of the Lord. Now, the... The law of the Lord, the Bible gives us several things, a lot of different things. First of all, it gives us perspective. Perspective. Where we have been and where we are going. If you take a trip across country, Judy and I just drove all the way to Washington State and back. And, and as we drive there and then we drive back, we remember, oh yeah, I remember this. We, we stopped here and we did this. It gives a perspective. Where you've been and where you're going. What it's like, what to expect. It, see, the Bible doesn't give us a cyclical view of history. It's, it, reincarnation is not a thing. It's a belief system, but it's not a thing. We have, the Bible teaches a lineal view of history. There's a beginning, a middle, and an end. And right in the middle of that, of course, is B.C. A.D. It's the birth of Jesus Christ who came in and changed all of history. And there's an ending. Now, some people think we're almost there. Other people say, no, we're not there yet, whatever. There, there are a lot of things happening. But there is an ending. It's a, it's a lineal view of history. The Bible was authored by people who had been there, done that, and we can learn from their perspective 
we look at what people experience and we realize that what Job went through, what David went through, what Samuel went through, you look at all the, the, the ways they interacted with God and how God answered prayer, how God worked miraculous things and how God allowed things into their life to test them and you know, different things, Abraham sacrificing his son, all through it gives us perspective. So when we live in the stuff of life and our lives are, are kind of broken and messed up at times and, and living in that, we can read it and gives us perspective on how they coped, how they dealt with life, the stuff of life. Perspective. The Bible also gives us, secondly, a moral compass. A moral compass. In ancient times, mariners or sailors on the sea used the North Star or constellations to guide them everywhere they went. And every action they took on this sea that was, you couldn't, you couldn't tell what direction you're going unless you looked up. It was based on the position of that star. They used a sextant. Then, of course, came the compass, and today it's GPS. Piece of cake. I can find my way anywhere in the world because I have GPS. It provides direction. The Bible provides us a moral compass, right and wrong. It provides direction. Now, we have so many opinions right now about morality and moral direction. What's right and what's wrong? One of the biggest issues is sex... Sex, same-sex marriage or transgender or whatever it is. And one of the things, we as Americans, get conservatives get upset about liberal judges that make decisions and they overturn laws passed by state legislatures or referendums o- o- called overturning the will of the people as if the will of the people was the bottom line. Well, that's how we do govern in a democracy or as a, as a republic. But if the if the will of the people is wrong, the majority of the people vote for something wrong, is that right then? No. The, we, have to have a more, we have to have something else, a standard to establish morality, right and wrong. People can be wrong. Our moral compass giving us right and wrong is not the will of the people, but the Bible, the Word of God. It's, it's the Word of God. The Bible is what says... Okay, the Bible is what says there are two genders, male and female. The Bible is what says marriage is between one man and one woman. The Bible says an intimate sexual relationship outside of a marriage relationship, premarital sex, extramarital sex, homosexual sex, are all wrong. There's a moral compass. It tells us what's right and what's wrong. We need, we need it. That's what the law gives us. Now, I, I'm going to take it aside here just a minute. Um, both of our daughters, Brittany, who's, who's here now, and Brianna, have been in the entertainment industry for the last 15 years or so. And that means being in L.A., being in the, uh, in the movie industry, all that. We're talking about music, acting, modeling, social media, just all kinds of things. And it is crazy out there. Now, when Bray was, I think it was in, she was in Denver at this point in time, she called me one day and she said, um, you know, Dad, I, I know what the Bible says, but I'm in this world where there are no moral values. There, people are living all kinds of different lifestyles. How do, how do we deal with that? I don't want to condemn people and 
and tell them negative things, but I, I need to speak the truth. How do, I, how do I handle that particular part? How do we handle it? You guys face it every day. You have a neighbor, a relative, or somebody that believes that uh, transgender is a great expression or, or homosexuality is, a, is just the way they are born, whatever. All kinds of nonsense that's out there. And, and I said to her, there are two different ways that we approach this. Number one, relationally, we love. We love relationally, but you also have the truth element to speak the truth, okay? This, this is something, because she said, Dad, how do you navigate that? And I said, you know, I could get up every Sunday and just lambast sin or all this other stuff. I said, but that's not, that's not what I'm here to do. But I said, I do have, because I've had... I've had all through my life, I've had people in my life that were living an alternative lifestyle of some sort in college and in my 20s, etc. And was I their friend? Yeah, I was their friend, but I didn't condone what they had. I said, the same thing is true now. The difference in my role, I said, I have a role as a personal friend. Okay? Doesn't mean I condone what people do. But I also has, have a role to speak the truth. Okay? To speak the truth. Um, I've said this before. We speak the truth in love. You can, you can speak the truth without love, or you can, but you can never truly love without speaking the truth. So at some point, we have to be able to speak the truth to people. And one of the, one of the hard parts... In my, in my ministry, I, I said to her, because she said, Dad, you preach against some of the... I said, yeah. I said, I have a personal relationship role with people in the community. I also have the prophetic role. The prophetic role is to declare truth, righteousness, from the Word of God. I can't, I can't ignore one or the other. One of the reasons the church is so confused today is because pastors have refused to be the prophet. Prophet is truth. This is thus saith the Lord. This is wrong. This is immoral. And this is bad for you, bad for society. We must have a balance. Now, now when I see people in the community, I'm not exercising my prophetic role. My personal role. Friendship, love, acceptance. When I'm here, I have to exercise the prophetic role of declaring truth publicly. Yes, we need the truth. You have the same roles. And I can't tell you how to exercise that. But we have a moral compass which was written because God knew best how his creation worked. And so those are the roles that we have. We have a personal role and we have a prophetic role. Speaking the truth in love. Next we have balance. Balance. Law and grace. There's law and grace. Law is, this is what God demands of us. Grace is, this is what God did because we couldn't measure up. Law says, this is the standard. I know you can't reach it. So grace says, I sent Jesus to die for your sins, and you can accept that grace. Liberty versus license. There's freedom versus accountability. Passion without extremism. 
having that kind of balance in our life based on the word of God gives happiness. And then there's wisdom. Wisdom. Practical guidelines for life. How to be a good husband or wife. Fatherhood and motherhood. Work ethics. Spiritual wisdom. How to get right with God. Being born again. New life in Jesus. The Bible answers questions like who am I? Where did I come from? Where am I going? Why do I exist? What am I on earth for? What's the purpose for which I was created? Wow. A lot of things. So what does Psalm 1 say about our relationship to the law? It says, follow the law. What does it say about our relationship to the law? First one has to do with attitude, delight, delight. I can delight in a book that tells me all of that. Delight is a descriptive word meaning to enjoy deliriously. Okay? When's the last time you were delirious in your joy? I haven't seen much of it here, but that's, that's okay. It's, it's hard to be deliriously joyful. That's what the word means. It says delight in the law of the Lord. Delight is an attitude. It's also an appetite. It's an attitude, it's an appetite, delight. Now, some foods are easy to delight in. Hot fudge sundaes, cinnamon rolls, caramel macchiatos, mochas, hot chocolate, chocolate chip cookies, nachos, pizza. Man, we can delight in those. Now, other things we need to develop a taste for. Sushi, olives, coffee, onions, lutefisk. Anybody know that? Lutefisk, anchovies, broccoli, Brussels sprouts. Am I hitting anybody's hunger right now? I know it's a risk talking about food at this time of the service, but we'll, we'll move on. Develop our appetite for God's word, the Bible. Our happiness is dependent on that appetite for the word of God. All the things that it brings. Attitudes, appetites. Then it's action. It says meditate. Think about it. Now, meditation takes time. We all don't have a lot of time, especially if you're still working or you've got young kids or whatever it is. Action, meditating, takes time. Now, something I learned, and you guys have known this in Wisconsin long before I learned it in Seattle, um, has to do with cows. I know this is a dairy land uh, of the world. Cows do something unique. They chew their cud. Now, I, I didn't know that much about that, but I did some study. Um, chow, cows basically eat the food once, and then they bring it up again and again, and they just keep on chewing it because they want to get every bit of nutrition out of it as possible. That's what they do. They do. Just like they do that, we need to ingest God's word, bring it up again and again and again, and chew on it and meditate on it. Meditate, just chew on it. Let it go again and again and again. Meditation. Judy and I like to go to movies or watch online. And we love happy endings. Okay? We love happy, I know that's escapist, but we love happy endings. And once in a while, we'll see a movie that has an inconclusive ending. I hate it when that happens. Leaves you hanging. Maybe the producers ran out of money or the actors died or they ran out of ideas. So they just end the movie. And if the credits didn't roll, you'd say, what happened? What happened? Well, 
I've learned to compartmentalize and just leave it alone. I don't think any further. But a week later, in the middle of a conversation about something totally unrelated, Judy will say something like, I wonder if they ever did find him. <laughs> she, she, <laughs> she, she's been pondering it and thinking it. She's been meditating on it. The scary part is that when we were first married, I had, I had a clue what she was doing. Now I just pick it up right off where it goes. I know exactly what she's talking about. <laughs> we don't finish each other's sentences. We finish each other's movies. So you know that. <laughs> Meditate. Think about it. Keep it, your mind on it. Happy if. Letter D. Accomplishment. This is what God does in us. God does it in and through the word in us. It becomes part of our character. And there are some descriptors about what it's like when we do this, first one is you'll be stable, like a tree planted by streams of water. Not you won't look like a tree, act like a tree, think like a tree, but you will be like a tree. It's a state of being. Planted, it's not, not wild, it's not random, it's not accidental, it's planned and cultivated. And you will be by streams of water, plural. Get into the word, meditate, stay in it. It'll be like you're by streams of living water. A constant supply of nourishment. Number two, predictable. It says you will produce fruit in season. There are natural cycles of growing leaves, growing fruit, losing leaves, dormancy. It's the incredible cycle in Wisconsin, northwest Wisconsin, that we see every year. We drive around looking at the, the change of seasons. And they were so sick and tired of gray and white snow. And all of a sudden, you green. Boop, 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 green comes out. And literally, I've seen it happen, as you, as you know, within three days. All of a sudden, boom, it's green. That, that's happened. It's predictable. Um, it's fruitful. It says be fruitful, useful. We become living organisms that absorb water and nutrition and produce something new for others. Then he says you'll be resilient. It says you're not immune from seasons. There's rain, hail, drought, snow, and wind. But he says you will be free from crippling damage. He doesn't say you're not going to go through any tough times. But he says you'll be resilient in the fact that you will survive and thrive in the middle of that. And then successful. Whatever he does, he prospers. Whatever he does, he prospers. That, that is an incredible statement. Now, our prospering may look a little different than we think it ought to, but it says, and whatever he does, he prospers. Are you looking for happiness today? Are you looking for happiness forever? Avoid the counsel path lifestyle of those opposed to God. Delight and meditate in the word of God. Sink your roots down deep and you will find stability fruitfulness, prosperity, and happiness. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you give us guidelines on how to, how to prosper and how to be happy. And I pray, Lord, as we, as we apply this this week, that you would just give us a new insight. God, that you would help us to see how we move forward. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would transform our lives this week by the word of God, in Jesus' name.